This morning we are in the book of Philippians, which should come as no surprise to you unless you're uh, visiting with us, which if you are, I'll welcome you here with us. Uh, but one thing we do here is we practice something that fancy people like to say it in Latin. It's called Lexio Continua, which just means continuous reading. And what that means is we start at the beginning of a book of the Bible and we work our way all the way through that book. Uh, finding it in its proper context. And so this morning, we have arrived at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And I'm going to read a quote here this morning from Socrates. Okay, interested in that? Uh, you may or may not be. Here's what it says. I am neither Athenian nor Greek, but a citizen of the world. A citizen of the world. There was an idea of cosmic citizenship in the mindset of the ancient Greeks, mainly in those who called themselves Stoics. They believed in one great, cohesive, universal community of peace and true justice. You see your life in a twofold community. One they called the accident of your birth. That's just, well, how we, you just happen to be born here. That's just an accident. But the other place that you find yourself in community is with global humanity. We are citizens of the world, citizens of humanity. So said Socrates. Let's look at how the Bible defines our citizenship. I'll begin in verse 17 this morning because as I told you last week, our sermon is kind of in two parts. I took the first part last week looking at verses 17 through 19 and this morning we're picking up in verse 20. So let's just start our reading of the text in verse 17 together. And it says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things in our text for this morning. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now, last week we said, there are those who are ungodly examples to the Philippian church, and there are ungodly examples to us, and we need to be careful what examples we're imitating. What examples are set before you? I was reminded over the last few days, how a sponge works. You probably already know how a sponge works. You're thinking, why did you need to be reminded of how a sponge works? Well, because that's just my level of intellect. 
I, I was tiling and grouting my small bathroom yesterday and the day before and the day before. And I used a sponge a lot. And when you grout, I don't know if you've ever done it before, but you have to clean it with a sponge and you wring it out and then you clean it with a sponge and then you wring it out and, and then you clean it with a sponge and then you wring it out and, and until you feel like you've entered some kind of twilight zone where it just, it's never ending. It just always reappears. You can never get the tile clean and you just continue and continue using the sponge. Well, when you know it, that the sponge seems to just kind of suck up whatever it's around. And that is much how we are as people. And the Bible affirms this, is that what we're surrounded with is what we inevitably consume into us. And we begin to imitate. And we begin to act like whatever our influences are in our life. And as a sponge, what is it that you're consuming? What is it that you're absorbing into your life? Because the things you absorb are what you're filled with. Do not follow their example, Paul says. Why? Because think of it in contrast to you. Their end is to be destroyed. That's what it says in the text. Their worship is their own appetites. Their God is their belly. The things they find glorious are actually the very things they ought to be ashamed of. And their minds are set on earthly things. But not you. But that's not you. This is not who you are to be. Why? Because your citizenship is in heaven. Let's look at our text this morning. Philippians 3.20, we're going to look at the first part of that verse together. And it says, But our citizenship is in heaven. This is really a reference all the way back to chapter 1, verse 27. Just glance there for a second. You'll be reminded of what it says. Philippians 1.27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, if you had notes that you've taken or you have a great memory, you'll be reminded that let your manner of life was actually a particular word, okay? Poiletusethe. Okay, whatever, whatever that means. Well, the interesting thing is that our citizenship is poiletuma. Poiletusethe and poiletuma. Those words sound very similar, don't they? It's because they're the same word. And it means citizenship. Only let your life as a citizen be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's 127. And then it says here in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. So he's repeating a theme. He's repeating an idea that he's already laid out kind of in his introduction to them. Let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ in such a way that you're a worthy citizen of heaven. We might ask the question, what is citizenship? We might ask, what is citizenship and what does it mean to us today? But at first, we need to say, what is citizenship and what would have been in the minds of the church in Philippi? How would they have understood the concept of citizenship? That's an important question to ask. Philippi, at this time in history, was estimated to be around 10 to 15,000 people. Okay? Not too big. 
10 to 15,000 people. It officially became part of Rome in about 44 BC. And this was Rome's attempt to Romanize the world. We remember all this, right? This was in our introduction. However many weeks ago it was. I think this is my 23rd sermon in the book of Philippians. So however long ago that was, there were benefits of Roman citizenship. And it was really part of Rome's uh, strategy to Romanize the world to say, if you become Roman, just let us, let us kind of own you and you can have all these benefits. Look at all these benefits. And here's some of the benefits. You can vote. You can hold office. You can have legal protection. You can have a true legal marriage in the eyes of Rome. Don't you want all those things? Hmm. There were requirements, though, of Roman citizenship. In order to have these protections and benefits, you had to pay taxes. You had to be subject to Roman law. And you had to pledge allegiance to Rome and its emperor. So there are benefits, right? But there are also requirements. Philippi was an outpost of Rome. An outpost, uh, you might have heard this as a military outpost before, but it's not a military outpost. But it's an outpost in, in that it belongs to and is over the, under the governing control of a larger city. And they say, now you kind of are part of our city, even though you're not in our city. But even though you don't live in our city, you belong to our city, and you need to act like the proper citizens. Now all of a sudden, that, that starts to have a lot of parallels to our situation here, doesn't it, as citizens of heaven? Citizens of heaven. You ever asked yourself the question, where is heaven? Some have said it this way. I think it's a good way to think of it. Heaven is not such a place to where you could get on a rocket ship and eventually reach there. We realize this, right? And the reason being is because heaven exists outside of our physical universe. You can't, there's no machine that we can build to get there. And finally, we arrive at heaven's gate. Oh, we've reached it. We're there. We knock on the door. Can I come in yet? Well, you're supposed to come after you're dead. Oh, sorry, I'm too early. You can't get there. Paul is the one who really gives us kind of a little bit of insight into the location of heaven. Do you remember when Paul says that he was caught up to the third heaven? Right? Do you remember the show Seventh Heaven? Anybody remember that? All of a sudden the song is in my head. Seventh heaven. There's no seventh heaven. Uh, the reason he said third heaven, uh, I think it's best understood this way. I think of it in terms of the first heaven is where the birds fly. Right? The second heaven is where the planets and stars rest outside of our atmosphere and the rest of space. The place where the planets and stars rest, let me tell you, is a vast expanse. Something that I believe we have no idea, we can't even comprehend. But heaven is not to be found there. Not the dwelling place of God. 
You can't reach it. So where is it? We get some insight. I thought this was interesting. And I'm going to put a little plug in here for Wednesday nights. You ready? On Wednesday nights, we're studying hermeneutics. Started last week. If you think I've never heard that word before, or I'm not really sure what that is, yeah, you should come on Wednesday nights because hermeneutics are very important. It's about biblical interpretation. If you don't interpret the Bible properly, you're saying things the Bible never said. And if you're saying things the Bible never said, you're saying things that God didn't say. But if I was practicing bad hermeneutics, man, I have such a good opportunity here because in Mark 11:25, in Mark 12:25, and in Mark 13:25, they all say a very similar thing. So if I was interested in numerology and things like that, I'd have a lot to work with right here, but we don't care about that. Mark 11:25, what does it say? And whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you for your trespasses. Where is the Father? In heaven. Mark 12, 25. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry or given in marriage, but they are like angels in heaven. Where is the dwelling place of the angels? Mark 13, 25. And stars will be falling from heaven. The same heaven? Or from the heavens? couple of different kinds of heaven here, right? Mark 16, 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ is in heaven with the Father. And heaven exists outside of our physical universe, beyond the place of the planets, beyond the place of the stars. When God created the space of the planets and the stars, he already was and was in his dwelling place right? Before anything was, God was. And before anything was and God was, he was already there dwelling. What does that mean for us to be citizens of heaven while we live on earth? Well, the church exists as an outpost of heaven. We've already said that, but it's important that we understand it, that we belong to the kingdom of God, that our citizenship is in heaven, and yet we're here living in a city that's not our city. Christians, however, should not ignore their earthly citizenship, but they also should not prioritize it. I'll take you to one text here briefly. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as those sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good, For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Interesting. Honor the emperor. But do you know what he's like? He's not worthy of honor. Hmm. Honor everyone. Fear God, honor the emperor. And so, as citizens of heaven, we live in a city where we are yet to act in a certain way toward the earthly city that we live in. Is this making sense so far? 
we're here, but yet we don't belong here. We're here, but yet our citizenship is not here. We are living here as, well, I would say aliens, but that doesn't mean too much to us anymore. It's, we're, we're foreign here, right? I mean, we're not like, you know, aliens, but like we, we don't belong here. We live here, but this isn't our home. And so then we must remember something else while we're here is that the battles that we face then that are here are spiritual battles. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom and therefore our battles are of a heavenly spiritual nature. Ephesians 6, 12 through 14, we remember that, right? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a biblical truth. What does that mean, though, for us? I'm going to, in just a second, say just one sentence here that I want you to, in light of our current circumstances, hear what I'm about to say. There is much talk. There are sermons and books and podcasts and blog articles about something in particular that are leading many away from a biblical worldview. And it's attempting in some cases intentionally, in some other cases unintentionally, it's forcing us to think about earthly things over and against heavenly things. And so I'll say this. To focus on the earthly systems as the savior of humanity is to lose our proper view of life as citizens of heaven. What is an earthly system? It's a governmental structure. Do you know that we could set up here what we believe to be the perfect, very best governmental structure? Maybe it's something new. Maybe it's something old. But we have it and we finally get it and everybody's for it and we're all living under the rule and under, those, under the rules and the society of, of what we've created here. We're all being great citizens, right? Everybody's doing it the right way. Okay, then what? Let's say we get Earth's systems all figured out. Okay. Is that the savior of humanity? Is a government going to save humanity? Can a government doom someone to destruction? Yes? I heard, I saw some head nods to the affirmative. The answer is no. It is the condition of your soul, okay? Not the system you happen to be born under, right? You know that. If you happen to be born a hundred years ago in a different place, that had a very bad governing system, 
would that doom your soul? What if the governing system changed during your lifetime? Would that doom your soul? Uh Uh-oh. But sometimes our focus becomes, if we can simply get this governmental system right, protect it, it's the savior of humanity. It's not the savior of humanity. There is one savior of humanity. His name is Jesus Christ. It is no system. But to focus all our attention on these earthly systems is a distraction to us as citizens of heaven. And we need to be careful to protect our minds that we might think with a biblical lens in this world that we live in. You are setting examples before your eyes and you are consuming much. Are the things that you're consuming telling you your priority in life is to focus on politics? Because that's the most important thing. Now, I've already said, though, does it mean it's unimportant? I already said that it doesn't mean it's unimportant. But I said to prioritize it, to make it the most important thing will be of detriment to us. Living as a citizen of heaven means you already have the right governmental system. You have God as king. You submit to his law. You submit to his authority. You have the requirements of being under that system, right? You have the benefits of being under that system. You are a citizen of heaven. That's all straightened out for us. We've, we've got it under control. I'm not too worried about it. The next part of our text helps us understand that. Look at what it says. So we are citizens of heaven, and from it, from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Something that's interesting about this phrase, Savior and Lord, is this. I'm going to read an inscription found in the year 6 BC. Really, really close. Many believe that Jesus was born in 4 BC. But, so this is real, right about the time of, of the birth of Jesus. And I want you to listen to this inscription about Caesar Augustus. The most divine Caesar we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling into disorder and tending toward disillusion, he resolved it once and more for the whole world to form a new aura. Caesar, the common good of fortune for all, the beginning of life and vitality, all the cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the new beginning of the year. That was the purpose of the inscription. Whereas the providence has regulated our whole existence, has brought us to life the climax of perfection and the giving to us, Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants as Savior, has put an end to war and set all things in order, having become God manifest, Caesar, hope fulfilled, all the hopes of earlier times. The emperor of Rome. Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior was commonly used to reference the Roman emperor. We have one Lord and one Savior, and it is Jesus Christ, and he comes from heaven, not from earth. 
and from it we await a Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that leads us to this very, very simple conclusion, doesn't it? That there is nothing on earth that can save humanity. Tell me, let's just think practically. Are you being told that there is something on this earth that can save humanity and we, if we just all get together and get that thing, humanity will be okay? If we can just get it all together, guys, be citizens of humanity together. One big, great family, all under the same rule, everything is going to be okay forever. But that's the lie we're being told, and that's the lie many people are believing, actually. Please don't be led into the lie that our hope is built in the government. Come on. When you boil it down to such common realities, plain truths, Does it help to put life into perspective? We're not trusting in a government to save us. We already have salvation. We already have it. I'll remind you of a passage from Daniel 4. Daniel 4, verse 28. And this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, big old city. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my might and power as royal residence for the glory of my majesty? I mean, can you imagine someone actually doing that, first of all? Walking around on a rooftop, looking over his city. Is not this my great city that I have built for my majesty? And then here's what happens. While the words were still in the king's mouth, There fell a voice from heaven. Which heaven? The heaven, the dwelling place of God. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it has been spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling place shall be with the beast of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know this truth. The Most High rules over the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whom he will. Have we forgotten that truth? Have we forgotten the most basic truth that King Nebuchadnezzar learned as his hair grew like eagle's feathers? And his mind was taken from him until he knew this basic reality. Don't you realize that there is one king over this earthly domain it may appear to our eye that some people have power for now and yes only limited power in so far as god gives it to them do you know there's only one who rules over all and it is the king of kings he is the king of kings you see that phrase actually means something he is the king above all kings to whom they must submit and he is lord of lords don't be fooled God reigns over this earth. So do you think then that you can put your hand to something that God's waiting in heaven saying, man, I just wish they would get all these politics worked out because I can't do anything until they get it all worked out. My hands are tied until, this, until all this gets right, so I'm just going to wait. Or is God in heaven acting 
as the sovereign Lord of all the earth. I believe he is acting as sovereign Lord over all the earth. He is the king above all kings. He is the most high over all kingdoms, and he gives it to whom he will. To whom he will. Even though we might not understand it. Right? Does this mean, though, that we don't pray that things might be according to the will of God and that we might act that things might be according to the will of God because we desire that the will of God be done? Yes, but it doesn't mean that if things go the way that we don't desire that God has lost his governing authority over the earth. No, we have more faith than that. We have faith. We are a people of faith. We are a people of faith faith over the God who reigns over this earth. Not only over this time, but of times past and of time future. He reigns over all. Is that a comforting thought? A very comforting truth? First Thessalonians 1.10, I just want to mention it. Paul repeats this idea, to whom we wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. When Jesus comes, he's delivering us from the wrath that is to come. It's just another reminder that even though we might get things figured out here on this plane, on this earth, there is yet another reality. There is wrath to come for those who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And so of what is all our energy spent on trying to fix earthly temporary things when there are eternal souls at stake? It's a distraction. Do you see it? It's a big distraction for us to think about things of earth rather than things of heaven. We, We don't even belong here. We're not even citizens of earth. In that regard, we're citizens of heaven. I'm only here for a short time then we ought to act like citizens of heaven. Right? Which is, which takes priority, your earthly citizenship or your heavenly citizenship? But in what way do we act? Do sometimes we act as though our earthly citizenship has taken priority? We need to be careful of that. And why do I say that? Because you're setting examples in front of you. And when you turn on, whatever it is that you're listening to, you're watching the news, you want to be like them. You want to have the same political thoughts as them. You want to be just as excited about this thing as they are. You want to be very passionate about this idea, just like they are. Do you hear him talking about all these political things? Yeah, I'm excited about that too. Name any one of them. All of a sudden, your priority becomes that because it's their priority. They're not a citizen of heaven. The person you're listening to is not a citizen of heaven, most likely, if what they're making their priority is earth. This is what I'm going to get most excited about, things of earth, not us. The things we're going to get most excited about are the things of heaven. And we ought to be careful to do so. Verse 21 who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So there is a God, there is a king, there is a Lord who has the power to subject all things to himself. What, what, what is included in those all things? All things. 
including the things that we're so scared of right now, including the things that people are so bent out of shape of right now, including what you see coming in the future and you say, yeah, well, if we don't get things straightened out, we're headed for, headed for what? Uh, God's still in control of the future, right? It does not relieve our responsibility, but it gives us hope in the one who is sovereign. Remember, the idea of human responsibility and divine sovereignty exists together even though it's uncomfortable and we don't know how to quite blend them together. Right? Be comfortable with those two ideas being uncomfortable together. Because just because God is sovereign doesn't mean you throw up your hands and say, well, God's going to do whatever he's going to do then. No, you still have responsibility. Right? But he's coming and he's going to transform our body to be like his glorious body. Do you know that you're going to be changed? Do you know that the glory that Jesus Christ himself has taken on you will be changed to have glory? He's going to transform you. This is no fairy tale. This is reality. You are going to be changed. And this is hope laid up for us. How is he going to change us? By that same power that enables him to subject all things to himself. You see, this is the power that God has. when God acts in the greatness of his power, when the great wrath of the great king comes to punish the disobedient, how will we be found? Those who have faith in Christ, listen, will not be at the edge of the sword, but will be embraced by a loving father. How different are those two worlds? The one who comes conquering to conquer will look at you and say, you though, you are on my side. You belong to me. I love you. I've loved you from eternity past, and I'm calling you into my kingdom. Come. I've adopted you as my own. And then he continues on to conquer. First Corinthians 15, 42. So as it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, but it's raised to a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. What is being prioritized? The physical or the spiritual? The spiritual. It's the same reality, isn't it? What is being prioritized in your world? In your mind, what is being prioritized? The physical or the spiritual. I see much of a physical prioritization of our life, of our world, and a diminishing of a spiritual prioritization. Do you see it too? But there is hope laid up for us. I want to encourage you Go back at some time this week, maybe today. Read 1 Corinthians 42 to 53. Okay, write that down. Some of you have an ink pen in your hand and you didn't write that down. I don't know why. What's the ink pen for? 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 53. 
Our hope is not here. Our hope is not now. Our hope is there, and it's later. But it's there in reality. It's already ours. We are already citizens of heaven, even though we are not yet there. Okay, so here's, here's the climax. You ready? Okay, whoever did the verse break up here? No, we're not following that, okay? That's verse and chapter divisions are not inspired, okay? So I believe this, this directly follows. If you have an ESV, that's why they included it in that paragraph. Because this is the climax, this is the conclusion to what all he's just said. Over these past probably five weeks, all of what has just been covered, here's the great conclusion. Therefore, so he's not setting this up to what he's about to say. He is saying, therefore, in conclusion, my brothers, whom I love and I long for my joy and crown, here it is, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. How? How can I? Like this. In this way. As citizens of heaven, stand firm. Stand firm knowing to whom you belong. Stand firm knowing where you belong. How can you stand firm when you put examples before your face and you prioritize the physical over the spiritual if that becomes your life and your reality, there is going to be anxiety galore for you. You're going to get caught up in all these things. Again, it doesn't mean that we don't look into those things and we become informed and we think about our world rightly. That's a different situation. But to become consumed with the things of this world and with politics and economics and how all these things are going to fit together and what does this mean for then and now and uh, I don't know what we're going to do. But God does God does know. And he is not in heaven frantically trying to figure out how to fit the pieces together. Do you understand? How do we stand firm? Knowing what is to come. Knowing who you are. Knowing who you must be then. Stand firm in this way. In Christ. You are in Christ now, act like it. Isn't that what he's told us over and over? You are in Christ, that's the reality. You are in him now, live like it. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today and we thank you for being faithful to us. And 